Um, otherwise, it's back to Trevor Simeon again, which uh, I suppose no one really wants to see. So hello and welcome to All Fourth Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. I'm back, the game is in the bag, and we've had a lot of trades to look at. So hey, we got Connor here, we got Ronan. Hello. And we've got Sean. Hello. How are we getting on, lads? How's all down in Cork? Did you miss me? <laughs> uh, we, managed, we, we, uh, we, we managed on without you just about. It was uh, very, very strange last week I did the hosting and... So it's, it's different being on the other side of the mic, most definitely. <laughs> Respect the role a lot more now. I, um, but, uh, yeah. I think I enjoy this side of it more. You, you did manage to skip probably the worst week of the NFL season so far, and this week oh, was a, God, yeah. a whole lot better, thankfully. Uh, yeah. so some good good yeah. tactical timing there on your part. I'm actually not in Cork. I'm actually not in Cork at the moment, back home. Uh, for. Oh, yeah, course. you're open. Kevin, how's it all up there? How's the how's the borderlands? Uh grand, quiet, you know, nothing really happening, but uh, you know, it's fine. I'll be heading back to Cork uh, later this week and then uh, yeah, probably back here for Christmas, but until then, yeah, just chugging along. Oh, very good. Yeah, I've been uh I missed last week, some of us have been mental moving everything around in the house and we're getting there, it's starting to look like a house downstairs, which is good. Um we still not got beds, but we got mattresses, so that's a step in the right direction. Yeah, uh, I drove I drove a very large van all the way up from the and back yesterday to collect a couch and a dresser. So it's uh, started to slowly but surely come together. So uh, I've got my TV set up, which means I'll be able to have a nice setup for watching the football on Sunday. So that's the most important bit. And what about yourself, Sean? No scare down the park? Not much. With Halloween in the suburbs, we finally got some trick-or-treaters. Um only a few, like it was only maybe three groups of kids came around, which is uh, three more than last year, but still, yeah, not loads of chocolate left over now that we can we can enjoy for the next few weeks. Um, other than that, kind of quiet here. There's some fireworks, I suppose, but nothing else. Very respectable Halloween holiday uh, all around. I think the weather helped. The weather was pretty terrible, so people kind of took their chance to come out when they could, but otherwise stayed inside. Yeah, I spent two years in Iraq, and I swear to God, I think I'd never seen as many explosions as I did living up here in Cabo. Now. It was uh, absolutely insane. Went on for hours. I'll say this much. I think we're probably lucky that we didn't have the dog yet, because I don't think the dog would have liked that very much. Um, I suppose we should swing in and have a look. There's a couple of these people have gotten into new costumes. There's been a couple of trades uh, as we're coming up to the trade deadline. There is still time left, so I imagine there'll probably be a few bits as we're recording this. So we will keep an eye out for that. So apologies if we miss anything that happens uh, during this lovely F5 season, as we like to call it. Um, first up, the LA Rams decide to mortgage the future. They have traded the 2022 second round and third round pick for edge rusher Von Miller from Denver. Uh, Von Miller, who hasn't been having the great season so far and was injured last week, but will be adding into a rotation with Aaron Donald will help them. It kind of reminds you of some of the trades they've done previously. I think it was at Fowler they picked up. Um, but this is a spot where they're giving up you know, serious picks next year. Denver are essentially paying Von Miller's contract, so they were just buying picks. So Von Miller has nine point seven million left in the contract. Uh, Denver are paying nine million of that. Uh, so this is essentially a one-year rental of a veteran who's probably in the hunt for a ring or possibly one last contract. Uh, big ballsy, going all in for a Super Bowl move. Do we like it? Yeah, I, 
it doesn't make a tremendous amount of sense for me. Uh, I understand I understand the desire to, to bulk up the defense. The Rams defense hasn't quite been at the level we'd expect from it. And obviously Miller is a, is a very explosive player when he's at his peak. But I mean, it's, as you said, it, it's giving up more draft picks. I mean, the Rams are going to be out of high draft picks from now until the end of time, the way uh, they're going for a player who's probably past his best, hasn't looked very good in years. Um, for what is essentially, I'm guessing, just a one-year shot at trying to ensure that they do win the Super Bowl. Um, it also doesn't make an awful lot of sense for the Broncos since they're not exactly dead. I, I think they're at 500 or just below it, so they're not. They're very much still alive as well. So it's not like oh, it's not like they were whatever one and seven and their season was over. So from the Broncos end, I don't understand it either. And certainly from the Rams, it gives them more dynamism. But but I don't know. Is it is it an acquisition of a name rather than? acquisition of, of something that they really need i hazard a guess that the uh the, the broncos end of this is they're loading up to go after a quarterback next year um that's that, that's pretty much i'm getting they're gathering picks to be moving i, I would guess but what do yourself fits what do you think yeah i think it, it, it makes sense for the rams they're they're kind of a team that hates the the middle class of their uh, roster for lack of a term because they traded kenny young to the the broncos like sometime last week uh, who was kind of like a guy who was due a contract, but who was good, but not great. And obviously now they've traded for someone in Von Miller, who uh, we know has Pro Bowl, all pro upside. And so obviously they're going, we want guys who have that upside. We don't want guys who are going to be solid contributors, like fan favorites, whatever. We want guys who are going to help us win, who are going to help us dominate. And so we're going to have Aaron Donald obviously be the centerpiece, creating one-on-one matchups for Von Miller and Leonard Floyd and some of the other defensive linemen. And we think we can make do at the other linebacker positions and in the defensive backfield, we obviously got Jalen Ramsey. So, look, I, I'm not sure if that's the you know safest strategy. It obviously isn't, but is it a strategy that has high upside for a team that's obviously mortgaged so much of its future already with the Matt Stafford trade last season and many of their other moves like Jalen Ramsey? Then, yeah, I don't see why uh, they wouldn't take a shot in this. Like Von Miller's stats before he got injured recently were still very impressive. Um, so I think that is just the big question with Von Miller. He's obviously only got the, the whatever the sick like the, the whatever games are left in the season left in his contract and he had an injury that's kind of kept him off the field a little bit in recent weeks uh but given the upside here given what he showed when he was not injured early on i think that's a risk worth taking for a team that's yeah literally just all in at the moment yeah uh next so we have the kansas city chiefs who traded a 2022 sixth round pick for edge rusher melvin gordon from pittsburgh Gordon went to Pittsburgh in the off season and has been Melvin, kind of a in, Melvin Ingram. Melvin. Sorry, Melvin Ingram. Sorry, um, he went to uh, he went to Pittsburgh in the off season. He's been kind of rotational at best, not getting the kind of play time that he was looking for. Uh, the Chiefs were obviously interested in picking him up. Uh, they have the Steelers already have some depth behind him. I think they have um, the Taco Charlton is behind him on their depth chart, so they've got replacements in. This is kind of, I don't think, what they wanted to do. I don't think they signed him with the plan of being to shift him uh, midway through the season. But Kansas City, in desperate need of bodies and players on defense. I believe in the offseason I said I was looking forward to them possibly taking a run and picking him up anyway. Uh, low cost, uh, low reward, I suppose. He could turn it up, but I don't really see it. But to be honest, even just being mid-table would be an improvement for this KC defense. Yeah, like it is a strange enough move. Like Melvin Ingram came into the Steelers and he was pretty good the first week or two, but reports have come out that there was a falling out between him and the the coaching staff, 
and he's basically not played for the last couple of weeks. So whatever was happening there, we'll probably find out in the near future now that he is uh, probably more free to discuss that. But uh, obviously something went on there. Maybe it was talk about like he was performing. It's like, oh, we're talking about a new contract. We know it's a guy who held out when he was playing for the Chargers a couple of years ago. So perhaps someone who you know doesn't play by the, the culture, stuff like this. So, look, something's going on there. But obviously, for a sixth-round pick, he's basically getting picked up for nothing. And, yeah, for a team which has really, really struggled to create pressure, you know, Kansas City, and obviously they're in their own Super Bowl window, or they say still believe in V. It makes sense to kind of make a move like this, hopefully get a guy who can <coughs> show you what he showed in those early weeks and then hopefully get back on track and be an elite uh, defensive lineman. Uh, I think he's traditionally been more... Well, no, he like, he's you know, being solid as a complimentary piece, but that will require people like Chris Jones and Frank Clark to step up more so that he isn't expected to be like the primary pass rusher. I don't think he was yeah. there, but uh, as a complimentary piece, he certainly makes sense, I think. No, of course. Uh, New Orleans have created a 2024 seventh round pick for running back Mark Ingram from Houston. Um, look, we mentioned this beforehand, Sean, Houston have pretty much every older running back in the league signed uh, at, the, at the start of the season. They don't need them all. They're not doing anything with them. New Orleans, obviously, are now going to be on to their third string uh, quarterback. I presume like they, they need some support in the run game or else they're just going to have no legs left at Alcabar. So this, I presume, makes sense to try and give them a bit more of a, a thumper at the end. Is that is that it? Yeah, it seems to be kind of rolling back the years. Obviously, Kamara and Ingram had a, had, a, had a good kind of tandem going at the Saints uh, a few years back. So... Clearly, with the, the various quarterback problems that they're dealing with, they're obviously going to lean in very heavily to the run now, and Ingram makes sense in the context of that. Also, I suppose it does make sense that the Texans are, are willing to, to get rid of them since they do have people like Philip Lindsay and, and, and other random uh, running backs, although apparently it has created a bit of tension. Uh, I think Brandon Cooks is a bit pissed off um, about Ingram going, so, I mean, it's it sounds like... Just another day in in the chaos of the of the Houston Texans uh, in that regard. Um, again, I mean, I, again, it kind of feels a little bit of, about kind of picking up a player whose best years are, are maybe behind him, um, but he will be a contributor. And they do lack a little bit of depth. The Saints now on running back. Obviously, Latavius Murray was was released um, at near the start of the season, and uh, Tony Jones, the the backup, is is currently injured. So. I guess he'd be slotting into the backup there, but Kamara's kind of come out on his own as a superstar since uh, Ingram uh, left. So it'll be interesting to see how, they, how that dynamic uh, fills in um, again. But certainly, uh, it, it's the, it marks a, a kind of a change of direction for the Saints in terms of heavily running on the run. And from Houston, it's just yeah, another day uh, of chaos uh, and and backbiting and infighting. Yeah, to be fair, to be fair to Houston, like uh, they they basically said they wouldn't have traded Mark Ingram. Except that it was Saints, and it was a sign of respect to Mark Ingram that obviously he has such a high association and love for that team and for that city uh, that they were willing to actually do this trade, which was effectively for nothing. Um, and Houston, yeah, they, I think you mentioned Connor, they also traded away Charles Amenehu to San Francisco. So Houston, uh, as we're coming up just in the trade deadline of the recording, could be making more deals. But uh, yeah, basically their entire roster is for sale right now, and these moves kind of prove it. Yeah, and they're picking up, obviously, hoping to uh, hoping to build into the future, given that they've turned over their roster so much, even just in this offseason. Um, so let's have a look at some of these season-ending uh, injuries and some of the very serious injuries that happened this week. Uh, Arizona have lost J.J. Watt uh, to shoulder surgery, so he's likely gone for the season. Kyler Murray has injured his ankle, so he's gone for one to three weeks, and that means Colt McCoy is going to be playing. New Orleans quarterback James Winston has got a kind of a grisly-looking ACL injury, 
as he kind of went down badly on his left knee last week, and he's probably gone for the season. Uh, Tennessee running back Derek Henry is injured his foot, just gone for surgery after six to ten weeks, and they've signed Adrian Peterson. Green Bay have lost their tight end Robert Tanyan to an ACL injury. He's gone for the season, and so is backup running back Kylan Hill. Um, Cleveland offensive tackle Jack Conklin has injured his elbow, and he's out for three to six weeks. So a couple of serious ones, and also so Sam Darnold had a concussion, so he's week to week as well. Um, a lot of big stuff here. So Arizona, I, I to be honest, how much was JJ Watt giving them? I every time I've watched them, I always focus a little bit too much on the the offensive amount when I'm watching Arizona. Like, was 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 Watt giving them a lot, or can he he, he be easily replaced? I I think statistically not an awful lot. I think he was contributing with the odd explosive play for like for like the highlight reel, but I don't think he was actually contributing in a great deal, um, kind of generally play by play. I, I think he is I think he is kind of past his best in terms of being able to kind of dominate offenses. So so I, I don't think he'll be missed uh, all that much. Yeah, but Colt McCoy coming in uh, for Callum Early, that's quite a quite a change. Uh, I suppose Fitz, this will be Another one of your favorite testing pith kings for you. He doesn't have Kyler Murray, so some of the chaos factor is gone, but Colt McCoy is pretty chaotic. Yeah, like, like we know Colt McCoy can play. He, he did get a win, I believe, against the Seahawks when he was the backup in New York last year, so he could always spring a surprise. But, like, look, that that, that entire offense is built around um, having an explosive dynamic playmaker, obviously with the kind of, uh, you know, air it out, air raid type offense. Um, does Colt McCoy fit that? I don't know, but obviously they signed him for a reason. And, you know, there's some important games coming up in the next couple of weeks for Arizona that if Kyler Murray was there, you'd probably definitely favor them. So, uh, you know, there is a chance Kyler won't miss any time. But even if he does get back in this week, we saw towards the end of last year, for example, that when he was hurt and he lost that kind of dynamic uh, threat on the ground, that he wasn't quite the same player. Now, he's been rushing less this year, um, but just maybe the threat of that being completely gone could have an effect on that offense. But... Yeah, if Cole McCoy has to play, it seriously diminishes their attacking output, and we'll, we'll see if they can overcome that. They obviously have a lot of talent on that offense around them, um, but uh, it's going to be a tough tough game all, all throughout, um, basically, if you're playing Cole McCoy. And then on no, James Winston's side, you know, that's the other quarterback who's gone for the season. Obviously, he had a much more mixed record this year, although he did look good in the game against Tampa Bay before he went out. Um, but I think Taysom Hill is coming off the concussion protocol. They're hoping to get him back this week, so... Basically, that kind of preseason quarterback battle we have may be resolved by having Taysom Hill, uh, Taysom Hill back in the driving seat like they had him last year when Drew Brees was out. Um, otherwise, it's back to Trevor Simeon again, which uh, I suppose no one really wants to see. Yeah, he managed it last week. Tennessee now, that's going to be a difficult one. Their offense has basically just been Derrick Henry. They haven't been getting production out of the past game. I suppose they've, they've had injuries. Julio's not been there the whole time. And let's be honest, Adrian Peterson... There's a reason he was on the street. He's not going to be... I won't cut him out of not being able to do anything, but he's not going to be able to give you what Derek Henry was. They're not the same type of runner. They're not the same style. They're not the same quality in this day and age. Uh, this Tennessee team, which we'll be talking about later on, they had a big win, and it's probably quite important that they've basically locked up their division because I'm not sure, I'm not sure what this team is going to look like for the next six to ten weeks. Yeah, this this offense is is all Derrick Henry, not just in terms of his actual contribution by yards, although there is a lot of that. He is by far the best running back in the NFL and and carries a team that is needed, but also the fact that the rest of the offense is built around Henry as a decoy or or as an option. A lot of Tannehill's space and time that he gets is 
quarterback is based upon the fear, um, the, the defense focusing on Henry. So obviously half the season or potentially the rest of the regular season um, for, for Henry being out is a disaster for the Titans. Now the division is basically sewn up. They have a three-game, effectively four-game lead uh, on the Colts um, with only nine weeks to go. So it, it's basically impossible for them not to, to win their division. Um, but they are going to struggle an awful lot and have to rely a lot on a, on a defense, which is looking better than it was uh, last season, but still isn't um, elite. I don't think, I don't, I wouldn't read too much into Adrian Peterson. I mean, I've nearly signed the same week and probably as some sort of replacement in the, in the depth chart, but I don't think they're looking for Peterson to be the next Derek Henry. Uh, I think they're just wanting to add to their options and their roster. As far as I know, he's only even on the practice squad at the moment. I don't think he's been fully elevated yet. Um, and, I think they'll Go expect on. him to kind of take over the, you know, tough running, like, short yard situations. Uh, you know, they're probably happy enough with Jeremy McNichols in kind of the more uh, scat back role, which he was already being pretty decent in. Um, but, yeah, it'll probably be a shared backfield between those two guys. Darrington Evans, I like, is expected back soon enough. Uh, so, yeah, it's obviously going from a singular controls the entire offense running back, which we don't have very many of in the league these days, to more traditional NFL, you know, uh, you know, uh, committee, basically. That's what I imagine will happen in this backfield. Let's see if any of them are effective enough to actually at least replace somewhat of what uh, Henry is. On the offensive side, at least AJ Brown's been playing re- better recently, so uh, they're not completely stuck in terms of talent there. Yeah, I yeah, mean, obviously, it's going to be a lot of leaning on Brown and Julio Jones when he gets fit, and this is now Ryan Tannehill's moment. This is the moment now that the team gets put on his shoulders and we get to see if he's really... Um, the 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 high quality quarterback that he's threatened to be over the past season and a half or so, if he's finally moved beyond Dolphins downhill to become a, a proper quality QB, um, the the, the pressure is definitely on him now. Yeah, of course. Uh, there, yeah, they, they, I see they're signing a couple of other people like Dante Foreman and stuff like that to the roster, so they're really struggling at the moment to find them. Um, yeah, so the other ones, and obviously the tight end Robert Tanya going after Green Bay is annoying, but he hadn't really been featuring heavily in the game plan this year like he did last year. Um, Cleveland losing the offensive tackle Jack Conklin for three to six weeks is a big one, given that they want to kind of, you know, they like establishing the run. Baker has been up and down, like losing continuity, and Jack Conklin's been playing okay, although he's got a lot of penalties, if I remember correctly. Yeah, like it's, it's, it's not great for a Browns team that are trying to right the ship. Yeah, like that's basically it. It's just another injury for the Browns. They're very hurt right now with guys out and guys playing through severe injuries. And it's definitely having an effect, as we'll talk about in the reviews. But yeah, not great for them to lose one of the best defensive linemen in there. And Tanyan, yeah, like maybe not the factor he was last year, but uh, I'm sure they'll probably be looking around um, to try and sign someone to be, take up that more pass-catching role at tight end for them. Yeah, and uh, the other news, Atlanta wide receiver Calvin Ridley is stepping away from football to deal with mental health issues. Um, this comes after he missed the London game and then he was out uh, in week eight as well. Um, so obviously for an indeterminate amount of time. Uh, look, it's good that these guys are kind of you know, taking the time and making decisions based on this. I'm sure Atlanta fans are unhappy that he's not there to try and help them. Obviously, they don't have some of their old pass catchers. They're in a kind of a transitional period there as a team. Uh, but it's nice to see, you know, these guys not how tied the pressure and just being able to say, look, feck it, I need a couple of weeks for myself kind of thing, you know? Yeah, I think, like, the, sorry, like, I think the big thing is just, like, it's very uh, unknown how severe this mental, these mental issues are. 
and it's unknown if this is just like a week or two, as you said. He could be out for the rest of the season, depending how serious this is. Um, but obviously, our, our thoughts are first and foremost with him and hoping that he gets better because he's obviously such a fantastic uh, player and, uh, and seems like a genuinely good guy as well. So uh, hopefully we see him on the field sooner rather than later uh, once, he's sorted, uh, himself, once he feels he's sorted himself out. Yeah, I mean, we, we wish him well. and um, But I, I think it is important to be to recognize that this we're in a situation where the NFL, I mean, hyper-masculine, toxic to the nth degree, a player is, is not only able to take time out of the game because of mental health issues, but is actually able to, to be upright and upfront and say, this is the reason I, not like faking an, an injury or or some sort of vague uh, announcement from um, the, the team ownership, that this is this is a recognition by, by the Falcons and the NFL as a whole that these things do exist and and coming to light with this will perhaps help other people who are who are struggling, um, both in the NFL and outside the NFL, with their mental health. Recognize that it is something that you can be upfront and uh, honest about. And yeah, we wish him well, and we hope to see him back being the dynamic wide receiver that that he is when he's at his absolute peak. Yeah, and on that, we will move on and have a look at the games from last week. Okay, so first up, Green Bay at Arizona, twenty-four to twenty-one. AJ Green uh, decided that he didn't want to turn around bright eyes and catch the ball, and that kind of put an end to this game. So Rasad Douglas got an in, an interception to kind of let Green Bay away with it. Tyler had 274 yards and two interceptions. Uh, the offense was very inconsistent with a lot of big mistakes on it. Arizona's defense weren't able to get any pressure on Rodgers, who didn't really have to do very much in this game. He was sub 200 yards. He had two touchdowns, which is good. But, like, it was the, the, the running backs combining for about 200 yards and, uh, and and Cobb just kind of doing it. We were worried going into this game that, obviously, missing his top wide receiving weapon would be an issue. But they were able to just work the, work the run game against him. And I don't know if that is just to do with injuries to the Arizona team and them not being able to scheme up as they normally do or... You know, Thursday nights are weird and all that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, it, it, it felt like Arizona falling short rather than Green Bay doing anything hugely amazing, apart from just being very solid and allowing Arizona to play themselves out of this game. I, I think that's that's underrating the, the, the job that the Packers coaching staff did here because this was a game plan executed to perfection. It was all about methodical, short play drive to take a lot of time off the clock to keep Murray off the field. Aaron Rodgers was was able to just control the game when he was on um, on the ground uh, on the ground. The fact that they didn't have Devontae Adams stifled their uh, offensive dynamism so that the turn um, to the run game which which turned to be the best option for offensive progress. I mean, I think it was very impressive that the Packers were able to do this and, and a sign that they maybe have the Cardinals number a little bit in terms of being able to know exactly how to, to beat them. I mean, it was razor close at the end, obviously, that, that the Cardinals were, were one wide receiver turning the other way around from winning this game. But I do think that the Packers deserved um, to win this game um, a lot. From the Cardinals, obviously, there's, there's a question of, of the kind of offensive dynamism. When the offense gets into its groove, it's it's very hard to stop. But the Packers D found a way to keep a lid on that tempo. They were hampered a little bit by the fact that D. Hopkins was injured during this game. He had a, a great matchup uh, with the with the, the Green Bay cornerback Stokes, who he was murdering, 
um, and indeed had a huge play against them on, on uh, Cardinals' first touchdown drive, but then he went out with injury and couldn't exploit that until later in the second half. James Conner is having a great season, as much as you might hear, hate to hear if uh, Conner, well, by his standards at least, he's, he's kind of showed up and gotten a lot of uh, good touchdowns uh, and the such like. So that the, the natural talent of the Cardinals' offense was keeping them in this game, especially in the second half when they made a few adjustments. But but in the end, the Packers' game plan worked to perfection, and they're in a very strong position now. They can hold this to take the number one seed in the NFC, or at least be fighting with the Rams um, for that for that slot. And that puts them in a very strong position. And I, I'm feeling very good about Green Bay right now. That they've really turned around from that week one disaster to have seven really solid performances and seven wins with where they've they've they they've looked really good and, and definitely one of the best teams in the NFL. Yeah, like this this felt this was a really important win for the Packers and also a very impressive win. You know, obviously the context where they were missing their probably their two best wide receivers, Alan Lazard, and obviously their best wide receiver, Devontae Adams, due to COVID nineteen. Well, hopefully they'll get them back uh, next week. Uh, like that's a huge thing to happen literally as you're planning out your week like that's obviously not something they expect to happen that's something we found out on the I believe on the Monday and the Tuesday respectively so obviously for them to do anything in this case against obviously the red hot team maybe pardon the pun um, in in the NFL you're obviously talking about a situation here where you have to give them major credit now to be fair they were given plenty of chances by the Cardinals those three turnovers that the Cardinals have were obviously massive um, albeit Green Bay didn't take advantage of all of them, like the special teams fumbled the muff punt. Um, they only got a field goal out of that, and they probably would have hoped to get a uh, a touchdown based on the short field. But obviously, the vital one was that interception uh, at the end by Rasul Douglas, where AJ Green seemed to think it was a running play, even though there was like less than like 20 seconds on the clock, and they didn't have any timeouts yet. I'm not quite sure what he was doing or what he thought was happening, but I think given the kind of atmosphere that they had, the kind of I suppose we've talked all year about the chaos of this offense and that, you know, it, it perhaps doesn't feel necessarily like it's a coherent hole where everyone's on the same page that, you know, maybe that's symptomatic of that. Like, like you know, it's really good for Grinny. It's lots of plays and uncertainty on the defense. But it seems like in this case that Kyler Murray wasn't quite in control of what was happening there as they tried to rush down the field. And you kind of feel that on the other side, when you have Aaron Rodgers, when he was in his pomp, you didn't really expect things like that happen. He always, Aaron Rodgers is one of those guys who seems to exude control over everyone and to have a almost dictatorial control over it since he's, he's not necessarily friends with many people. Um, but in the, you know, in the, in the late stage of his career that we saw Rodgers here, as Sean said, much more methodical, basically just more than happy. To just give it to Aaron Jones, let him take it like uh, the five, five yard yards after the catch, just grind them out and then dominate the time possession to the one basically. And you basically saw again and again that they were able to just keep the Arizona Cardinals off the field get them frustrated. And even though the Cardinals did have a few good drives in the second half to obviously get into a situation uh, where they came back. And then obviously they had that final drive where they could have won when they're in the red zone. Um, I think Green Bay overall um, can feel given all of the constraints they were dealing with and um, that they did ev- they eat every single uh, bit that they could out of this. Um, you know, maybe, you know, they could have regretted those, those spe- the special team, I think the special team fumble where they didn't turn into a touchdown is the only thing they might go question a little bit. But otherwise, they were squeezing everything they could have. They kept their, they kept their, themselves in control of this game and they get away with a huge win in the NFC hierarchy. So, yeah, overall, a uh, really good Thursday night football and uh, long may it continue. And they, hopefully, we'll see both these teams uh, come January, maybe play each other again. But uh, either way, they should be fun to watch. 
Yeah, Cincinnati at the Jets, uh, 31 to 34. We have some quarterback controversy kicking off here in New Jersey. Mike White came in 405 yards, three touchdowns and two interceptions, both of which were tip balls, so weren't really his fault. Um, they came to play, and they now have two very surprising wins as the Cincinnati defense wasn't able to uh, hold them off at 11.4th quarter deficit on a 3-1 turnover margin. Um, their running back Carter went off. Finally, that deep dive 15-time pick in everyone's fancy leagues has finally paid off because I'm sure you've held him this long, uh, 172 yards on a touchdown. Um, the other one, yeah, like Burrow did a pretty good job in this game, 259, three touchdowns. But, you know, they didn't capitalize on a goal line uh, turnover. They didn't do much in the running game. And the defense, like they, they were in a position in the fourth quarter where they should have won this and they weren't able to close it out. Um, it was a great, great performance from the Jets, big statement from them as well. Uh, but this was, this felt like Cincinnati took their eye off the ball a little bit at the tail end of this game. Um, like Mike White still is very good and it should make it for very interesting uh, bits. I don't know if uh, I'm not sure if, uh, if, if, if their first round pick has been reading Mike White's old tweets, but uh, it definitely sounds like Mike has had to deal with people like him before, and he might uh, he might have just the tools to deal with them. <laughs> yeah, the 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 stories of Mike White being the uh, new Tom Brady taking over from uh, you know the highly vaunted <laughs> pick. Albeit, uh, you know, <laughs> Drew Bledsoe was a bit further into his career at the time that Tom Brady took over. But, uh, yeah, the NFL works a lot faster these days. So you have to say there's a controversy right now because Mike White in his first start uh, did something that only Cam Newton did on, on his debut, which is have over 400 yards um, in, in his debut. And obviously Mike White isn't doesn't really have the threat of a rushing attack. He's not that type of quarterback. But what he is is a really efficient uh, point guard, distributor, quarterback who is more than happy to take what is given to him, but also more than happy to take the opportunities that were get, were available to him. So you mix in just a guy who's very efficient, willing to take throws that you just feel that uh, Zach Wilson just hasn't been taken this year. Zach Wilson again and again just holds the ball, looks uncertain, was always looking for that shot play, which to be fair led to some nice plays in that win against Tennessee, but has been incredibly inconsistent. And you bring in Mike White, the most generic name of all time, and he is the most consistent uh, quarterback. As you say, he had two interceptions, but both of those were tip balls. Both of those I would not put on him. And considering that, you know, both those dips happen early on in the game, though, thankfully, they, I think the Jets managed to have a goal line stand to stop one of them turning into a touchdown. But, you know, he put in that situation completely unfazed by what would be a bad turn of luck and you're kind of going, the Jets, they'll collapse because they're the Jets. And then, you know, the, the game is pretty back and forth. And then you kind of feel in the fourth quarter, Cincinnati early on get an 11-point lead. They're kind of doing what you expect as the team that we've seen this year, a team that's improved and has got over itself and obviously has has has, has Burrow as kind of their, as their totem, as their kind of leader, and they're all on, on side. And yet, despite that um, and, the, and the other turnover they had, the, the Jets come back and they win this game, and they do it by, like Mike White does it by going 7-for-7 seven seven on their final touchdown drive, distributing it to all of the different guys that are available on this offense, which is hardly a, you know, a murderer's row. You have guys like Jamison Crowder, you have Michael Carter, who was great in this game, Ty Johnson had a really nice tippy-toe um, uh, touchdown, 
uh, late in this game. Elijah Moore even got a little bit involved here. So, like, you know, these are a lot of young guys. These aren't guys, veterans, except for maybe James McGrath, that people have relied on in the past, and he's just making them sing. And, yeah, if you're a Jets fan, like, maybe because the Jets, somehow they'll screw this up. Like, somehow Adam Gase will, like, you know, uh, take over his body or something at some point. But you have to be incredibly excited right now Unfortunately, you're incredibly excited for the you know three-year clipboard veteran and not your first-round, second overall pick. So there's going to be huge questions when Zach Wilson goes back in a few weeks' time if Mike White has any more performances like this. And, of course, that's against the Cincinnati defense that we've been talking up all all season, saying, oh, my God, I can't believe how good this defense is. And yet it looked like a complete joke in this game. And, you know, on the other side, like Cincinnati, they, they played pretty well, uh, but they had a few early uh, few, few mistakes and turnovers and they couldn't get it done uh, on, on a fourth and goal. Uh, but uh, overall, like this isn't a game that the Jets won because the Cincinnati Bengals screwed up. This is a game they won because Mike White looked really good and the Jets somehow looked really good as well. Maybe not on defense, but certainly in offense. So uh, I don't know what to think. I'm not sure to just say that this is the start of something special, but it's definitely, you know, I'm definitely interested right now. Um, I am going to say that this is potentially the start of something special. Um, I think Jets fans are going to well, look at this game and go, this could be the beginning of something. This team is coming together slowly, and they're not very talented, and there are a lot of problems all over the place, but they're coming together under Robert Sala. They believe in his vision. They are fighting for him. They're going to get blown out because they're not very good, as we saw last week. But when they're in tight games... Um, especially in, in kind of games against good teams that they shouldn't be in tight games in and they're kind of inspired to play. They fight for every yard. They, they fight for every play. They make spectacular catches. They have a, a, a nobody quarterback playing out of his skin. And then they really, they, they want to be playing for the Jets and they want to win for the Jets. And even if the season is going to be a complete write-off and they're going to finish like 3-14 and 14 or 4-13 and 13 at best, I have the weirdest suspicion we're going to come back in three or four years when the Jets are a solid playoff team or perhaps even better, maybe a 10, 11, 12 win team, look back at this season and go, you know, we can reimagine it as the start of the journey, that this was where the, where the first shoots of this of this new Jets team um, came out, that, that this, they could see that they were willing to fight. Now they just need to put the right pieces in place. Maybe White Mike White is one of those pieces. Maybe he's not. I mean, what happens to Joe Flacco is, is an interesting question that happens now. Um, is he suddenly a, th- a third stringer? Um, after uh, all, all that he's uh, uh, gone through uh, to, to get on, on the position. But, yeah, the Jets are an interesting place. I don't expect him to do much this season. I don't really expect him to do much next season. Who knows if Zach Wilson is ever going to turn out to be any good. But I think, I'm going to say it right now, I think in 2025 or 2026, this team will be a playoff team, and we will say Robert Sala is, is a great coach. For the Bengals, uh, there's a lot of questions here. The question is, they're a good team. There's no question about that. We know how dynamic they are, that the Burrow-Chase-Mixon thing, the defense has its moments and has its superstars, but they have to know how to kill off games. I mean, this is a disaster situation. You would never see Tom Brady in this kind of situation or Aaron Rodgers or, or a really good quarterbacks or really established teams. They were up by 11 points with seven minutes left to go, and they couldn't kill off the game. They had four and a half minutes to score a field goal to tie this game um, or to sort of touch down to win it, and they couldn't do it. They made loads of mistakes down at the end when it mattered. Um, this is a real step back for a Bengals team that has, in the last three or four weeks, really come into itself as, as marked by that amazing victory against the Ravens. Um, but now they're they're five and three. They're scrapping in a very tough division. That the you know the AFC wildcard 
race is going to be an absolute bloodbath. They're suddenly in the fight once again and looking for maybe the best team in the NFC or the most exciting team in the AFC last week. Now they're, they're back down in the doldrums and they have to pick themselves up and do it all again. I still think they're a very talented team. I still think they'll probably have a winning season. I still think they're likely to make the playoffs, but they're not quite the dynamic super super team that we thought that they potentially looked like um, against the Ravens. So it's back to the drawing board. And now we'll see what people like Zach Taylor um, are made of or, or what Burrow and Chase and Mixon, what they can produce when the chips are down and they have to fight for every win. Yeah, uh, we've just got a quick update of a news story that's just popped through there now for Controversy Corner. Uh, Las Vegas Raiders, Henry Ruggs has been involved in a very serious car accident uh, in, uh, I think last night there's rumours found on the internet at the moment that someone was killed in it and there may have been alcohol involved. So that might explain why there were some rumours about them sniffing around shopping him today. But um, yeah, that's just breaking now as we're on here. But uh, we'll move on to Tennessee at Indianapolis, 34-31 to 31 in overtime. This is a back and forth game that was very tense towards the end as both defensive stiffened up and uh, they decided to have four essentially defensive stops before being able to close it out. Wentz went for 242, three touchdowns and two interceptions. And he had a good start to the game in particular, but got a bit of help from the refs while he was on the way. Um, yeah, the pick six, uh, overtime interception, a lot of kind of messy decisions. Uh, like I said, good first first half, we'll say. Uh, not so great at the back end. Uh, particularly the, the weird safety one where he tried to throw it away with his left hand it was just yeah, terrible decision making uh tan hill went for 265 for touchdowns the two interceptions with one interception recovered on a fumble um yeah look they were also shaky they overcame it brown had 155 yards and a touchdown henry injured his foot as we mentioned he's now going to be out for kind of six to ten weeks he uh played through that foot injury because i believe the injury happened very early on in this game um, but yeah, no, it led to, it led to a tense game, and like I said, essentially wraps up. This means that Tennessee have kind of the lead and the tiebreaker over Indianapolis for this division. So they are essentially already the the AFC South champion. Indianapolis, they're not dead; they're in the hunt for a wild card because the AFC for that final wild card spot is all over the shop. Like even the Jets are not a hundred percent out of it yet. Um, but yeah, it, it was the Jets. The slight, slightly, slightly sloppy game, particularly in the back back section. But uh, look, a lot, a, a lot to look at and big implications for both teams. Um, Sean, would you think you'd be like I'm looking at this performance and I'm feeling less happy about Wentz than I would be like considering we took a, a playoff team to overtime. I'm actually not mad impressed with Wentz at all. Oh, I, I 100% agree. I think. Carson Wentz is the reason the Colts lost this game. Uh, I think he had a disastrous meltdown at the end of the fourth quarter and in overtime, two terrible interceptions. The first one for the pick six uh, was just the worst series of decisions I've, I think I've ever seen a quarterback make. He he went to like pump fake the ball when he was about to be sacked or was trying to make some sort of clever round the corner throw, decided that was a terrible idea and then only two seconds later, two seconds after he should have thrown the ball away, did he decide to throw it up and it got picked off uh, and such like, uh, and went went in for the, for the pick six. Then they had to get the touchdown drive and you think, oh, he led the team down for a touchdown drive straight afterwards. So that shows that he's you know got the the kind of the the mental fortitude to, to get get off the canvas and go again. Absolutely not. It was terrible. He got really lucky in that last drive that they made any progress whatsoever. 
There was almost there was one pass that was almost picked off. He had Michael Pittman make an absolute hero catch when he threw the ball up in the midst of four defenders surrounding Pittman. Then there was a, a long uh, pass interference penalty, which seems to be the entire Colts' offensive game plan these days is to throw it long uh, and, and look for um, um, PI calls, and it worked in this particular situation. Wentz is I, I, Wentz's problem is that ultimately he's. He's generally a solid quarterback who's capable of making good throws, but he plays way too aggressively in risky situations. He doesn't know when to play it safe. He doesn't know the right situations in which it's okay to to throw the ball away and live, and live another day. He's constantly trying to push the envelope, constantly trying to take chances when he shouldn't, and that leads to mistakes, and mistakes cost you uh, games. There's an interesting tidbit that the commentators raised in this game is that the uh, uh, Indianapolis Colts offensive playbook, every single play uh, in the, that playbook has a check down option like explicitly laid out. As I, Wentz has to be told for every single play he's on, here's how you get out of that play in case something goes wrong. As in they do not trust him a single iota to think for himself in crisis situations. They don't they don't they don't believe in his ability to innovate or to think on his feet in every situation is if the thing isn't wor- working here's how you get out of it and the problem was in this game is that twice in key situations Wentz did not do that Wentz decided to be the hero and try to to make the hero play so the Colts their season was on the line or at least their divisional season was on the line they played hard Jonathan Taylor is on an amazing form um, but Carson Wentz uh, cost them this game. Also, I mean, you can also blame a little bit on the Colts' play calling, where it's, even though Taylor is on crazy form, they still leaned almost entirely on the pass. It was a 3-1 to pass-to-run ratio, despite the fact that Taylor was getting about five yards um, a carry when they did give him the ball, which I found very strange whatsoever. But even though their defense played really well, the run defense stifled Henry. They got good pressure uh, on, on Tannehill throughout. Uh, ultimately, it all comes down to, to Carson Wentz um, to, to lose it. For the Titans, they live another day. Their defense looks pretty good. Their front seven was 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 kind of in control of the Indianapolis offensive line and got some good pressure on Carson Wentz, including kind of the, the big play at the end of the fourth quarter. Tanhill got into the game after a slow start, although he's not a big fan of pressure either. Uh, Derrick Henry didn't have a great game running, but it was very useful to the offense as a decoy to give Tanhill more time and space. But without Henry looking forward, I think the Titans are in a lot of trouble, and they're just lucky that the division is sewn up because they, they their their entire season plan now is is right out the next eight games and hope uh, that Henry's back for the playoffs um, and hope that everything clicks straight away because it doesn't I don't think I can't see how it works without Henry uh, on that side, and they're just lucky that the division they're in is absolutely terrible. Yeah, next up, Tampa Bay at New Orleans, twenty-seven to thirty-six. Uh, this was. You know, a bit of a surprise result, but so Sean Payton does know how to mess with Tom Brady, particularly in the regular season. New Orleans defense got two interceptions, a fumble, and three sacks, and they finished a hard one battle with pick six as Brady went 375, four touchdowns, two interceptions, and a fumble. Uh, they've just constantly, constantly harassing him, uh, but they still managed to get quite a lot of yardage against them. Um, Winston looked okay in 56 yards and quite a nice touchdown before the injury with the horse collar that pulled down and eventually uh, as was later uh, released, injured his uh, his, his ACL. Um, so they brought in Trevor Simeon because uh, they didn't actually have Hill in at the time. Uh, 159 yards and a touchdown. He looked fine, to be honest. Uh, better than I would have expected because I remember the last time I saw Trevor Simeon it didn't look that, like that. But uh, Kamara looked fine, 76 on a touchdown, was their only real threat. Taysom Hill 
is due to be back this week from the COVID um, close contact or whatever it was that he had. Um, you got to presume that he's going to be being put into the lineup. But this was a big win for, for, for New Orleans. It keeps them live uh, very much so in the, in, in, in the hunt. Uh, the problem is, like, this was a fantastic performance. This was them being able to kind of topple Tampa Bay, topple Tom Brady, particularly in such difficult circumstances. But I can't, as, as much as I'd like to think of this as being, uh, well, this is the blueprint by how they're going to be able to be competitive, it's hard to see this as being something that is, replicable week after week that they're going to be able to just win with Taysom Hill slash Trevor Simeon uh, and and you know multiple multiple turnovers and big turnover differential every single week. Yeah, like obviously that you know they only work against you know mediocre quarterbacks like uh, aging quarterbacks like Tom Brady. Uh, otherwise, they're 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 you know not going to get this type of uh, you know turnover from them. And don't forget, like two of these turnovers were. After Jameis went out, they really laid the kind of foundation for Simeon to have a solid enough day and to give them the lead they had at the half that kind of they managed to just about squeak through in the end. Obviously, the the final scores helped out for that pick six to kind of uh, killed off Brady and then in desperation mode, he was sacked multiple times. But like, look, hats off have to go off to the New Orleans defense, which effectively made... Tom Brady looked mortal. Tom Brady has been an absolute beast this year. He's been eviscerating defenses from bad to to very to quite good. And in this case, New Orleans, who have generally been quite good against them, the defensive side at least, and really they've only won because that the New Orleans offense hasn't really got it going. Got it going. For example, say in, in the playoffs last year, uh, they just had another day with him. Um, and yeah, like it, it's kind of hard to 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 kind of overstate how much work they did. Now look. They got a few. They got a few breaks, of course. Uh, like the when do you not? Um, I think they had a. Uh, they had a couple of situations where where, where they kind of got lucky and where interceptions were were dropped and stuff like that. Uh, but like they harassed Brady. They got that vaunted pressure up the middle that that we kind of talked about years ago, and they basically made Brady work every single inch of the field. Now, um, as you say, he did get a lot of yards. I believe like Chris Godwin had a big game. So yeah, my, like you know, like Mike Evans was kept relatively quiet by uh, the fact that he was obviously getting covered uh, by Marshawn Lattimore throughout this game, and when he wasn't getting covered, when he went to the slot, they were like double and triple receiving him. So Chris Godwin's the only one who really had like a breakout game here. Now, to be fair to Tampa Bay, Rob Gronkowski went out of the game early here. His back spasms showed up. He didn't really make, a, make any impact. And obviously they're missing Antonio Brown right now, who, you know, we're not sure when he's coming back. So it's not Tampa Bay at their full overall Super Saiyan power, but it's still got Chris Godwin. It's still got Mike Evans. It still has Leonard Fournette, who was kept to basically doing nothing in this game. And, you know, they obviously made the important plays when they mattered. But, yeah, is this New Orleans team sustainable? You know, they're 5-2, and they're one game off. Are they going to beat the Bucks for the NFC side? It's very hard to say that they will. Now, the big, you know, Jameis Winston, he was solid when he came in. You're finally starting to see him make some of those more deeper throws that they were trusting him to do stuff rather than just dump it off to Kamara. But once they got Simeon back in, it basically reverted back to early season Jameis, where it's just dump offs, you know, play incredibly safe. And maybe there was like one or two throws that were really important. The one to Kevin White stands out on their uh, their final touchdown drive in particular. But this was very much a give it to Kamara, let him do most of the work, and we'll kind of hopefully do enough just to survive this game. 
Um, but, you know, the big X factor for them going forward, which we'll talk about in the previews, is if Taysom Hill comes back, we saw what their offense was like with him last year. You know, is it a good offense? I'm not really sure, but it is a, it can be an offense that scores points that can be effective. It can certainly be a lot of the lesser teams in the NFL. So I think if they have to bring out Trevor Simeon for multiple games, that could be an issue. But if Taysom Hill comes back, you know, I'm not going to completely wipe out that the New Orleans Saints should not be, uh, you know, taken away as a factor in the NFC, uh, you know, top of the NFC playoff hunt. Yeah, no. I, I can see that. It's just it is just that thing of I, I remember last year we were dating it as well when they wanted to make Taysom Hill a thing and they were still able to win some games with it. We can't can't uh, you know just assume that it won't work. It is uh, John Payton needs managed to get good performances out of worse situations. New England at the LA Chargers, uh, twenty seven to twenty four. I guess it's not just moral victories that you're going after, Sean. You're going after real victories. So Belichick's defense puts up a, a cracking job here and. Like really just puts the pressure on Justin Herbert. Two interceptions, including a pick six, three sacks. Herbert barely over two hundred yards, two touchdowns. Uh Eckler had a big day, 124 yards and a touchdown, but it wasn't enough to kind of make up for it. Mac Jones, I'll be very intrigued to hear your thoughts on this guy, Sean, because Mac Jones was okay. He had 218 yards. He had one or two very nice passes. But I thought that this was one of the less good performances we've seen. Like he was better last week than he was in this one. Uh, Harris had a good performance at running back 80 yards and a touchdown. Uh, and there was a few flags that kept his numbers down. He had a couple of big runs that got called back uh, for, for, for holding, particularly on the, the left guard. Um, but yeah, New England is back in it, uh, looking to win it. This was a big surprise. Uh, like I said, um, I would say, okay, but less impressive performance from Mac Jones. But just overall, this is a New England team that has gone from, Jesus, I wonder if we're going to be able to do anything. Is this going to be a kind of a, a year or two process to get ourselves up to speed to now going to the LA Chargers? Look, Chargers are going to charge, but they are still a very talented team and one that will be expected to be knocking around for the playoffs and taking them out in their building. Yeah, I, I, I love this defense, this Pats defense. This is old school. This is 2002 Patriots. This was just clamping down on the opponent through Belichick's defensive wizardry and then hoping that the offense on the other side managed to score enough points to win the game. And they did. And after two near misses against Brady and Dak, they finally get their signature win and against the lead quarterback. They are a game and a half behind the Bills. Their season is looking up. Their defense is playing at an incredibly high level. JC Jackson had a great game. Christian Barmore looks like a beast. Matt Judon is just dominating offensive lines this team is really coming into its own on the defensive end here that the game plan was was focused on containment in the first half take away herbert's options frustrate him and in the second half go in for the kill become more aggressive try to make the big plays that led to the pick six which ultimately decided the game because it put the pats ahead and allowed them then to control the clock get their field goals they could rely then on field goals on the last field goal uh, to win uh, the game. So just Belichick's management of the game and the defensive play calling and the scheming was just, it was just magical to watch. And this team, when it's on this kind of defensive form, is going to be a, a match for any uh, uh, offense. On the offensive side, I agree with you, not great. Mac Jones had probably his poorest game of the season so far. And he's just, he, he gets them down the field, but it's, he seems in the red zone or goal to go. He's not making the right decisions. I mean, I think the Chargers... 
pass defense did pretty well in the red zone and in the limiting options. There were a couple of situations uh, where, where, where he was looking for Myers but, but couldn't get him because there, there was coverage in place. But he doesn't have that dynamism. He doesn't yet have what Brady eventually evolved, which is the game reading, the ability to see the things that other people don't see. He's, it's too early in his career for that. But he's solid. He's doing what's being asked of him, even if it's what's being asked of him is to get them into field goal range, which he was, which he's very good at doing. He's very good at getting the pats into field goal range. He's less good at getting them uh, the rest of the way. So that's something um, to work on. But the ground game is able to accommodate 150 yards or so total um, for the pats on the ground, which is almost as much as they got uh, throwing the ball. So I mean, uh, between the defense and the run game, this is this is a solid old school Pats team that is looking like a good bet for a wild card berth and if the Bills slip up they could even sneak the division. For the Chargers, I mean it's tough, you know. These they're having some really crappy losses from their part. Their exciting start to the season has kind of fallen to bits. Uh, they were destroyed by the Ravens a few weeks ago. Here they were outplayed essentially by a team that is not as talented as them. Justin Herbert, I think we maybe forget that he's only in his second year and he's still on that learning curve. He got a little bit frustrated by the fact that he wasn't getting down the field as, as easily as he's used to. And in the second half, there were a lot. The throws got a little bit more inaccurate, a little bit more panicky. The second interception was just a, just a very bad throw uh, more than anything else, whereas the first interception was probably more of a bad read on, on that uh, uh, ground. The Pats may have Herbert's number in that regard. I believe this is the, the Pats are the first team to beat Herbert twice. That Herbert has always been able to win the second game against teams that have beaten him first time around and this is the first time that the that team has beaten them twice in a row i mean that but the problem is when you're off when the chargers offense isn't firing in all cylinders their defense just isn't good enough to stop anybody even if that offense isn't all that good their chargers run defense is just absolutely appalling they, they gave tons of yards in this game their pass defense is a little bit better but still not great i think the Herbert will get back into his groove. We can expect that he will improve as the season goes on and as the years go on. But until they improve this defense, they're going to struggle to win enough games, I think. And they suddenly find themselves scrapping for their division where two weeks ago it looked like they were going to run away with it. So a lot of more questions on the board for the Chargers. For the Pats, I'm just loving watching this. And I, I, the fact that I don't know where it's going to end up, the fact that I don't know that they're going to have a 12-win season and make the AFC Championship game, but instead we'll have to scrap it out and might get the 10 wins or, or might end up with, with seven wins. I, I'm actually loving that that part of the Pats experience, the, the ability to just watch like a fan who doesn't know what's going on. And therefore, every victory is an achievement rather than something that is being expected, which is this, it's, a, it's a change of pace, but, but I'm actually quite enjoying it after the 20 years of dominance. Yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting take, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> oh, this is what sports is what is there's a, there's a potential for my team to lose? What? I will admit that being that. a Pats fan had a potential for being boring, especially in the regular season, um, because even when they lost, you still knew they were going to win 12 games that season. So um, this is different. This is every game and every down matters, and you, you, fight, you, you fight with the team, you watch them, and you kind of urge them on, and every win matters that bit more. Yeah. Uh, finally, Pittsburgh and Cleveland, fifteen to ten. This was messy. Um, a lot of mistakes from Cleveland, particularly in the wide receivers, fumbles, multiple drops. They gave Pittsburgh the chance to win a very, very AFC North. <laughs> we'll say a very AFC North game. But then went two hundred sixty-six for a t- on a touchdown. Didn't do too much in terms of anything positive or negative, which I think is a positive for him at this stage of his career. Probably um, Harris. 
kind of went off 120 and a touchdown. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was it was okay. Baker, 225, nothing much happening. Chubb and Landry were not about. Like it's just it just it felt like a Browns team from three years ago rather than the Browns team that we watched last year and the Browns team we were expecting to see for most of this year. Like they were making mistakes, allowing Pittsburgh to kind of push them around and bully them. Um, the 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 terminology that was being knocked around online a lot about this was like you know watching a big brother basically beating up his younger brother or whatever. But like it, it last year kind of looked like it was turning around and the, you know, they beat them in the playoffs and then looking great. And now this feels like they've gone back into the same mentality as they have previously of just being like, well, this is game is too big for us. We can't beat these guys. Um, Cause like this is, this is a Pittsburgh team who, even given all the fumbles and drops and mistakes that Cleveland were making, put up 15 fucking points. Like, it's not that hard an entity to deal with, but Browns just didn't seem to have it in them. Look, if Cleveland don't make the playoffs, this is one of those games that they're going to look back on and absolutely tear their own hair out about. Now, to be fair to Cleveland, it is worth saying they are an incredibly hurt team right now. Obviously, they lost Jack Coughlin during this game. We talked about the injuries, and he's going to be gone for a few weeks. Baker, obviously, you know, has had inaccuracies in the past, but playing with that bum shoulder, like the non-throwing shoulder, is definitely affecting his accuracy even more. He just doesn't have the correct form. You can see that it's definitely bothering him. And Jarvis Landry, who, who who's coming off injury, he played last week and this week again, he, he doesn't look like the same dynamic playmaker uh, that that he, he, he can be and it was his drops in particular and then the fumble that he had late on in this game that really killed the Browns he had you know one drive that was moving down the field uh, Landry on the middle of the field and then it got punched out by the the, 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 the Pittsburgh defender and uh, that put Cleveland back to square one and then they had a much shorter amount of time to try and win the game and they just never really got anywhere and there was like missed catches by both Landry and OBJ whose father is apparently now tweeting out um, videos of him not getting the ball from Baker Mayfield. I mean, no, the OBJ to <laughs> Baker situation has been somewhat fraught, at least certainly on the field anyway, um, since the, that trade happened. And it's just like the things that they needed to work didn't work. And obviously, you know, when Cleveland have looked at their best, it's because of their really effective run game. But Nick Chubb getting back in this game, who's also coming off injury, only 3.8 a carry. Obviously, the Steelers were coming out and they knew we need to stop Nick Chubb. Um, but he also didn't look like the same dynamic playmaker that he, he usually is. Um, he didn't take over the fourth quarter, which he has done in previous games. And to be perfectly frank, the few cameos that we saw from Ernest Johnson, which were primarily in, in kind of pass situations, I think he looks like a more explosive playmaker right now. Obviously, Chubb is a better player and more explosive when fully healthy. But Ernest Johnson, we saw what he did last week against Denver. I'm surprised they didn't get him more involved considering what he was able to do. And like to some extent, I'm kind of going, would they have been better off putting in Case Keenum and Ernest Johnson, guys who are fully healthy, who can maximise everything they have, than injured Baker Mayfield, injured Jarvis Landry, in- injured Nick Chubb, injured defenders, um, and kind of just like at least have guys who, who aren't dealing with all those issues for one more week. I know 
given who they are, like Baker's never not going to play a game that he is in any way capable of playing. Um, and these other guys are a real competitor as well. I obviously really get that. And that's part of the reason that we love this team. But it felt like in this game that they were just, they were fighting their own bodies as much as they were fighting the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, and that's the same, like the Steelers are like that for the same reason, at least at the quarterback position, but for very different reasons, because Big Ben hasn't become a great quarterback. Uh, but the main thing for him is he stopped cutting, he's, he's cut out the, tur- the turnovers and he's cut out the shoot mistakes mostly. Um, and in this game, you know, they relied on Harris once again, um, who had over 120 yards. And he was just willing to do kind of like um, yards after the catch um, to, to Deontay Johnson and a little bit of Chase Claypool. And of course, that like 55 yarder to Johnson is what's killed the game here. Um, I think like the only highlight play for that offense um, besides that 55 yarder was probably the touchdown for Friar Mood, who, who did a nice juggling kind of catch, which, uh, and he probably like an effective fourth option after uh, Johnson, uh, Claypool, and Harris in this. And it'll be interesting to see if he gets more play going forward uh, with Ebron kind of being, you know, the kind of disappointing stuff he's always been. Um, but for Pittsburgh, look there, we know they're a winning organization. We know that they managed to win games that they shouldn't, um, but they came up against a very, um, you know, challenged Cleveland Browns team with all the injuries and all the issues they're dealing with, and they managed to sneak this one. But this is going to really hurt uh, for Cleveland uh, at the end of the season, I feel. And uh, yeah, that, uh, that AFC North, all the teams are either on five or four wins. It's going to be an absolute grind for the rest of the season. Yeah, and on that lovely note, uh, we're going to move on to the dump-off for the rest of the games that uh, we don't think need a full rundown. We'll give Fitz to give you a quick synopsis. Of yeah, so we'll start with the, the two other uh, primetime games, Sunday Night Football, Dallas and Minnesota, 20-16. Dak Prescott didn't play in this game, but Cooper Rush did just enough to get Dallas over a pretty pathetic Minnesota performance. I don't know, the, the Minnesota can't-beat-winning team's curse was in full effect here. Like Rush, he had like two turnovers, but he had two touchdowns, so, you know, don't want to be playing him next week. Hopefully Dak will be back, but uh, look, he was impressive in the drives that mattered, particularly that final drive, finding Amari Cooper for the winning touchdown, and he was more than happy to get into the hands of Cooper for over 100 yards and C.D. Lamb for over 100 yards, kind of give them, you know, uh, some of the yards after the catch, particularly in C.D. Lamb's case. And he was doing this in the case with the running game. It was obvious Minnesota were selling out to stop the running game and fair play to Cooper Rush for doing enough um, to get it done here against the Minnesota defense that, uh, despite the, the two turnovers, was mostly pretty mediocre. They allowed over 400 yards in this game. On the other hand, this was a classic, you know, we all expected it. It's Cousins in prime time, and he absolutely shit the bed. 184 yards and a touchdown, basically numbers that you would expect from a backup, um, but Cousins Woo-hoo! is the starter there. <laughs> and Cook was mostly kept in check, Dallas. Um, they're a very aggressive like simple kind of D and they basically were focused on stopping Cook and they kind of went, they beat us Cousins and he absolutely could not do it. And to be fair to Dallas D, they obviously, that fierceness starts with their rookie linebacker, Michael Parsons, who had four tackles for a loss, 11 tackles overall. He was an absolute demon everywhere um, over the field and he, he certainly put the Frighteners on the entirety of that Minnesota offense. But yeah, uh, like that Minnesota offense below 300 yards overall, just a classic Minnesota shitting the bed on Sunday Night Football. Uh, Giants at KC, uh, 17-20 to 20 KC win. Um, two late field goals were enough for KC to kind of uh, win this game out as Daniel Jones uh, had one final drive but uh, wasn't able to get it done after getting sacked twice. Um, the Kansas City Chiefs didn't do much on, on, on defense besides the interception earlier in the game before that but uh, they did it when it mattered. And this was just a really sloppy game. Three turnovers between the two teams. Only two for Kansas City, Connor. Progress. Um, but over nearly 200 yards of flags being thrown around here. Both teams were just making mistakes uh, and hurting themselves again and again. Um, in Kansas City's more kind of classic flags, 
uh, whereas in, in the Giants' case, uh, dumb flags like taunting, albeit maybe a little bit of a harsh call there. Mahomes is really stuttering right now. Not a good performance from him. 275 five yards, a touchdown interception, um, but only really like Hill looking like an usual self, nearly 100 yards and touchdown. And even Kelsey, you know, the other kind of pillar of that offense, he was very poor, 24 yards and a fumble. So, and on the other side, Sorensen on the defense was getting picked on again and again and again. Really, you have to have. I was actually going to hop in just to say, like, there's an incredible play to watch online that says everything you need to know about why Daniel Sorensen needs not to play, which is he uh, completely pass interferes on a chap about 40 yards downfield and allows the catch at the same time. It's just, it, it's remarkable to get pass interference and allow a catch all in one go. Um, but yeah, shocking. Yeah. And like you don't need three safeties. You have two perfectly good safeties that you can play. You don't need to uh, in Turnhill and, and, and Thornhill and, and the Honey Badger. So I don't know any noise doing out there. Uh, and look, like I suppose just mentioned, Daniel Jones was fine, but uh, as I said, wasn't able to do it when it mattered at the end. And uh, yeah, for the Giants, they'll probably be kicking themselves a bit because they they had the opportunities to win this game and they kind of let it get let, let it get away from them. But very much Giants this season. Uh, moving on to some of the dumber games, uh, Washington at Denver, truly the dumbest of the dumb games, 10-17 to win for Denver, who certainly tried to lose this game because they had the game wrapped up uh, and then they fumbled the ball away twice. That They managed to recover the first one, <laughs> they didn't recover the second one. Really, you, you should have the warning you needed to, to not fumble twice, guys, like this is not hard. Um, but thankfully, Taylor Heineke wasn't able to take advantage of that as the Denver defense finally looked kind of like the Denver defense we expect, considering that they were, were missing Vaughn Miller uh, due to injury, who's obviously not with the team anymore, and Bradley Chubb is out, and they're missing a bunch of guys, but actually a pretty solid outing for them. Uh, but, yeah, Heineke, overall, his usual completely inconsistent self, two interceptions in this game. Uh, one was a Hail Mary, one at the, at the end of the game. Uh, yeah, he, he shows flashes of being interesting, but there's just too many dumb things to really rely on him, and... Uh, with its magic out for the foreseeable, it's just very much a lost season for Washington. On the other hand, Denver, look, Teddy was back to the boring Teddy we kind of expected at the beginning of the season rather than turnover Teddy that we've had sometimes in recent weeks. Uh, but overall, it's not very fun to watch, like 213 yards of touchdown, um, but it's very conservative and they were relying on the run game. They didn't have very many yards in this game, um, but uh, the run game at least is solid with Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon being a good tandem uh, over four yards carry. Hardly going to blow the doors off, but given who they were playing, perfectly adequate. Um, and, you know, the, I suppose the only other factor for Washington is outside Heineke trying to blow the game. They also had their kicker, Chris Blewett, rather unfortunate name, also blowing it um, with two blocked kicks after having a blocked kick last week. So, yeah, Washington, just very weird, bad team at the moment. Uh, San Francisco at Chicago, 33-22. to Impressive win. Jimmy G gets back. He gets his groove back. Three hundred twenty, twenty-six yards. Two touchdowns, both rushing touchdowns. Take that, Trey Lance. Um, and he was very much helped out by kind of the two players who've actually been okay for San Francisco on offense this year. Debo Samuel had over hundred yards. Elijah Mitchell had over hundred yards. Um, they were both just like very effective in the engines of this offense and kind of took what we consider to be a pretty decent Chicago defense who put some better uh, offenses this year to, into, into the struggles. Um, they just looked pretty uh, mediocre here as Debo got all the yards off the catch and Mitchell was able to run through them. Um, but I think the nice thing for Chicago, even though they lost the game, is that I think this is the first game I saw Justin Fields where you saw a little bit of hope, where you saw a guy finally being able to use the one thing he definitely has shown flashes of, which is his ability to rush. And I think in particular that fourth down and one touchdown where he basically, the game, the play was completely busted up 
and he just managed to like Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, magic bullshitted himself out of it and rushed for the touchdown. That's the kind of flashes that we were hoping to see more of from Justin Fields in terms of picking up an offense that uh, you know has basically done nothing this year as they tried to turn him into Andy Dalton. He's still not very accurate. They definitely need to help him on the offense with you know with the with the scheming that they're doing and like rely on the fact that he's not the most accurate quarterback, but they could be doing so much more with him I feel and uh but Matt Nagy he, he wants to go down with the ship apparently and uh, a loss like this will certainly help him on the way. Carolina Atlanta nineteen to thirteen this was a terribly grim game as the teams kind of struggled against each other and they struggled against themselves and just kind of rutted each other into a messy, awful crap fest basically. Um Carolina just about did enough, like their touchdown drive with Hubbard was probably the only nice drive in the entire game to be honest, with Darnold being okay before he got knocked out by concussion um he didn't make any mistakes which is the big thing obviously compared to what he's been doing in recent weeks and uh look it's a situation where i don't know what carolina are going to do in offense but they are technically in the last playoff spot at the moment so you know there's hope there while atlanta after showing a media flash they were going to get into the playoff hunt this is a definitely a big dagger in the neck for that like ryan was absolutely blasted by the uh, snow patrol um who had three sacks nine quarterback hits absolutely harassed and they basically did that because obviously calvin Ridley's out due to the top uh, due to his mental health issues and um, they just basically clamped down on kyle pitts double coverage make sure he can't be a factor and outside that there's just so little on this atlanta offense cordell patterson was solid again but outside that it's just literally nothing um but for carolina the only hope their offense is that CMC awaits. Uh, we'll see if he's back next week or in, in near nearby weeks, and they can get back on track and look like what they were in the first few weeks. Miami at Buffalo, 11 to 26. Uh, this was a bit of a struggle early on. Tree, it was three three at the half, uh, but in the second half, Josh Allen took over. He had three three hundred, nearly 300 yards, three touchdowns. He just basically completely obliterated the Miami offense after figuring them out. Uh, with Cole Bleasley being the major, uh, being the major beneficiary with over 100 yards in this game. On the Miami side, just another uninspiring performance. Tua basically did very little. He had like a, around 200 yards. Um, and a touchdown but they had opportunities early in this game that they failed to convert they got to the red zone twice they missed the field goal they had a fumble obviously getting zero points from that situation is going to put you in a difficult position and that allowed buffalo time to sort themselves out and end up winning this game at a counter um look miami at least their defense showed hints of being the kind of unit we expected earlier this season but they're a team whose season is spiraling further and further as the uh, as we go on uh, i don't know how they're going to get out of that to be honest uh, Rams at Houston, 38-22. to Do not be deceived by the 22 points of Houston because those all came in the fourth quarter when the Rams, I presume, all just spontaneously fell asleep under some kind of court curse um, and they got 22 points. But this was a routine win for the Rams. 38-0 um, to going into the fourth quarter. Just, yeah, absolutely annihilation. Stafford had 300 yards and three touchdowns. And over 100 of that was the Cooper Cup, of course, who had his own touchdown. Um, and they basically were able to rush the ball, pass the ball, um, absolutely obliterate the uh, Davis Mills that offense. And um, they had like less than 100 yards going into the fourth quarter. Um, so if Tyrod can come in and salvage something from this season, that would be nice. But overall, they're selling pieces. They have injuries. And they're just a nothing team right now. The Rams, uh, this is basically a pseudo buy, to be honest. 
Jacksonville at Seattle, 7-31. Gino, what maybe his final uh, performance after the, because they're going on bye this week, and Russell Wilson may be back after the bye, but he has a nice easy day and he has a win. 200 yards, three touchdowns, including a rushing touchdown on fourth down. Not very nice, says Tyler Lockett had all the yards, around 150, and DK had all the touchdowns. He had two of the, the, the two passing touchdowns, including where he mossed the uh, former Seahawk, uh, Shaquille Griffin, uh, caught it over his head. The Seattle defense basically had to do very little as the Lawrence-led offense did very little. He had 230 yards, a touchdown interception. He checked down the ball a lot, and they didn't have a run game. And like James Robinson would add early, and you could just tell that they reverted completely back to the absolute crap that they were doing in the first few weeks of the season. He is really the engine of that offense, in my opinion, James Robinson. And without him, they were just completely lost. Uh, we'll see if Seattle can get back into the playoff hunt after the bye if Russell Wilson comes back. But for Jacksonville, yeah, after that win in, in London, a very disappointing way to come back after the bye. And finally, Philly at Detroit. You know, Connor, you picked Detroit last week. You said, hey, you weren't here to obviously defend it, but you were like, oh, look, they showed yeah. a bit of fight in recent weeks. And then they got absolutely pummeled as Philly just shoved, you know, Boston Scott and Jordan Howard, who had around. 120 yards between them and four touchdowns just right down their throats and he just kept the ball away from them and Jalen Hurts was yeah, showed a few flashes but at least in this game he didn't have to do much to earn those uh, 20 fancy points because he was basically done by halftime uh, Detroit's defense did nothing zero sacks zero QP hits or nearly 255 like a 250 passing rushing yards allowed pathetic and in the brief moments that the Detroit offense was on the field they did very little golf at around 200 yards Swift had 51 yards and a fumble, which ended up being returned for a TD. Just, I suppose Hawkinson had some yards. That's nice. But uh, where now for this Detroit team in Campbell? Can they get that win after being screwed over? Well, feeling like they've screwed over so many times earlier this season? Or are they going to have a bunch of performances like this against the mediocre set of the NFL? Uh, Philly, they're, they're, I don't know what Philly are going to do. They're not going to do much this season. But uh, hey, easy win for them on the road. Uh, so that's the dump off for this week. Talk to you next week. Perfect, and we'll swing over and we'll take a look at the games for next week. Or this week, I suppose. Okay, first up, we have Jets at Indianapolis. Uh, myself and Fitz have gone for Indy, and Sean has gone for the Jets. Oh, I'm so torn to spot this is the Jets, actually. Uh, yeah. No, but, it's completely irrational. The Colts are a much better team, but I just believe in the Jets, man. I believe I'm in all Mike in on the Salah Mike. project. Mike White. This is now a Mike White Stan podcast. Uh. It is, yeah. So we stand Mike White. I, honestly, God, because I'm, I'm now looking at, I've got one or two teams in my fantasy league that I think I'm out of the quarterback, and I might just go for the crack and just like Mike White is across the bullet. If I can get my hands on him. Legendary. But uh, yeah, look, yeah. Like, like objectively, this is a game that has very little playoff implications, but, you know, both these teams uh, had a pretty good last week. They've both shown flashes of being good. Uh, I think the Jets, the only problem is, like, I don't know the Indianapolis Colts are a playoff team, and they don't seem to play well against non-playoff teams. <laughs> They're like a, like a bizarro Minnesota Vikings. But, uh, look, objectively, Indianapolis, we know, are a more solid roster up to down. But they do have the, you know, question mark of Carson Wentz, who's been shown that he's not a terrible quarterback, but is prone to making dumb-headed mistakes. That particularly seems like in, in the most important moments of the season. Uh, and the Jets, you know, if they're going to follow, if they can do what they did last week, then certainly they have a good chance here. But, uh, you know, after the Tennessee game, they, they went on to absolutely get their heads pummeled for a while. Um, so hard to trust them on a week-to-week basis necessarily. Yeah, particularly that on the short week as well. That's not going to help. Atlanta, New Orleans, we got for New Orleans across the board. Um, yeah. So have we got confirmation that Hill is back then? No. <laughs> okay. 
But we've also well, look, got but there's only there's only the tight end in Atlanta really is a threat. Or Mike Davis going for one point two five yards. To be fair, Carolina beat Atlanta while having uh, you know, uh, like Sam Darnold basically do very, very little. Um so I would give New Orleans defense if they could follow up what they did to top up Tom Brady, do what they do they could do that to Matt Ryan, then uh, they, they could be a pretty grim game, but I would imagine they can still sneak enough points against a bad Atlanta defense to get it done, even with Trevor Simeon. But Hopefully it doesn't come to that and they get Taysom Hill back and they can have some modicum of consistent offense. Uh, like Atlanta, like I, I was, I was getting, kind of getting like, oh, Atlanta, they got some things going for them. But it seems like if you lock down Kyle Pitts, then the offense completely falls apart, except for Cornell Patterson. So you have two players to lock down New Orleans. Otherwise, I mean, if you can do that, I think you can probably win this game. Yeah, this, this feels like a Sean Payton grind fest to me get get out get out with the win against a divisional rival the falcons are just not a good team and they can't they can't score enough points to win games so no this doesn't feel like it's going to be a very enjoyable game to watch unless you get some kind of fun play design stuff but yeah it doesn't feel like it's going to be high scoring or anything it's going to be grinding um buffalo at jacksonville um sean reach off the buffalo across the board yeah, I mean, the Bills, they're not looking as good as we perhaps expected them to, but they're still pretty good. They, they showed last week against the Dolphins they're capable of pulling away against bad teams when they need to, when they're not in that kind of beatdown mode that they're capable of. So I think we're either going to get one of those two. We're going to get the beatdown, uh, which the Bills gave to the Texans or, or to the Dolphins earlier in the season, or they're just going to grind them out and win at the end, either by defense or offense. They're better on both sides of the ball. Jacksonville are just a limited team with not very good coaching, and it's very hard to see them actually being able to, to, to do anything against this Bills team, even be competitive for too long. So I, I can't see anything other than the Bills win here. Yeah, no, that seems fair. Uh, next up to my pick of the week, Cleveland at Cincinnati. Um, yeah, look, it's bad times in the sense can be a tough division. This is a tough game. Uh, both looking to bounce back. I, like, we saw Cincinnati across the board because... They played well last week. They didn't close it out, but they were in a spot to win. And you kind of think, like, their younger team, younger, less experienced head coach, maybe they just kind of learned from those kind of mistakes. Even they're still very banged up. They're still not sure how close to 100% Baker will be. They'll still be missing a few other people. As we said, they're missing linemen. This is at home for Cincy, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume that the form is going to stay for them. Um, and that it was just kind of a bump in that fourth quarter. But they were up by 11 points in, but let it play. Um, Cleveland could 100% take as they come out firing. But the problem is, I just think they're a little bit too injured at the moment. Um, but if this was two or three weeks' time, I think they might look at it differently. But at the moment, it's I'm finding it hard to see Cleveland's route here. Yeah, but this is a really important game. Like, Cleveland will obviously, similar to Colts last week, this is feels like a must-win game. They don't want to go below 500 in what is an absolutely stacked division. Um, maybe Nick Chubb is healthier, a bit healthier this week, They or maybe they go to Dervis Johnson more, then get that run game going. We obviously saw um, that the Jets have success by running the ball and also by getting involved in the kind of screen game. It would be really interesting to see if they can do more of that um, and kind of get it going. And then obviously we know the Cleveland defense, um, they didn't give up a bunch of points to Pittsburgh, um, so it'll be important for them to probably keep Burrow to, you know, 20 points or so. Obviously, lockdown, Jamar Chase is the number one priority um, for that uh, for that defense. But yeah, like, look, objectively, based on where these two teams are, 
in terms of health and in terms of the like what they've done this year, it's hard to pick against Cincinnati. But look, this is the AFC North. This will be a pretty tough battle, I imagine. And uh, you know, you can never count Cleveland out. They're, they're a team I feel who has a good culture, who aren't just going to give up this season. But uh, a lot of cards stacked against them as as they try to get what could be a huge win in the Battle of Ohio. Yeah, between the injuries and the fact that the Browns just aren't producing in tight games, you got to go for the Bengals here, even though they had the the fuck up last week. Um, it yeah, can the Browns? I mean, the Browns offensively, they just they just can't get going at the moment, and unfortunately, their defense isn't that good that they they only need to score ten points, whatever, to win a game. So the Baker's got to have a game, or they've got to find options from somewhere else, or someone has got to have a big game in order to keep pace because the Bengals are capable of putting up points here, even against a good defense. So it's going to be hard until unless the Browns' offense turns up to actually be competitive in this game beyond a certain point, in my opinion. Yeah, it seems fair enough. Uh, next up, we have Vegas at the Giants. We've actually just got an update on that Henry Rugg story as well. He has been charged with a DUI resulting in the death of someone in the car accident that he was involved in. So that is an emerging story at the moment that's going to presumably make it. We'll be discussing that next week. But yeah, um, it's, uh, we've got Vegas across the board here. The Giants, look, they were able to take Chiefs to the fourth quarter, but Chiefs are not very good at the moment. Uh, Things have been playing very well post Gruden. It's almost like a wave's been lifted off their shoulders. I would imagine that they would be able to do it here, but the Giants, look, they are a little bit feisty sometimes. Uh, it is a long kind of trek across for them, but I'm going to have to decide that the, 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 the grade is on this one. They've got a couple of playmakers more than the Giants do at the moment. The Giants are just banged up. Yeah. Uh, New England at Carolina. We've gone from New England across the board. Uh, do you want to lead us off on this one, Sean? Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be defensively minded. Both these teams are much better on the defense than the offense. But I, I can just see that the way the Pats defense is playing, I, I can see Belichick. Uh, well, it depends if Darnold plays or if someone like PJ Walker starts at quarterback. Whoever it is will be in with Belichick's sights. He will have the, the kind of the predator eyes uh, glaring at him. He will be spotting spot the deficiencies and root them out. The Panthers just, they don't look very good at the moment, um, especially when Darnold is having one of his games. And with the Pats defense playing the way they are, I think they could stifle him quite a bit. I mean, the question then is, is can the Pats uh, score points and can Matt Jones get them down the field? And we got to hope that he does it a bit better than this than, than last week. I, I got to imagine that the, the Pats momentum will carry them this way, because even though the Panthers have four wins, they haven't looked good till about since about week three, uh, and um, the longer that goes on, and the more Darnold's uh, confidence drains, that the less good this Panthers team is going to be, at least until Christian McCaffrey uh, comes back uh, in, into that side. Uh, next up, Denver at Dallas. Ronan, we've gone for Dallas. Yeah, like Denver are uh, a bad team and an incredibly <laughs> unfun team. Um, I think the only reason people watch Denver games is the fancy community they just want Melvin Gordon to get traded so Javante Williams to get all the carries. But look, Dallas, they managed to win with Cooper Rush against a, you know, not fantastic uh, Minnesota team. They certainly didn't show up. But like Minnesota are probably like a slightly better version of the Broncos right now anyway. So even if Dak isn't back, I would give him the favor. But I think Dak, it was precautionary. He's expected to be back if he's playing. There's no reason you would pick Denver in this game. No, that seems fair. Minnesota, Baltimore, we've got the Baltimore cross the board. Uh, so we're definitely done thinking Baltimore still a playoff team because that's most of my decision-making process when it comes to Minnesota games. Uh, yeah, Minnesota just don't look very good at the moment. They look lost. 
they were completely out of the depth last week. Uh, and yeah, as I always say, sophomore a playoff team in the canteen and over 500 teams, so yeah, the, the Vikings seem to have become a parody of themselves. They, they've managed to, to perfect the, the Vikings' mediocrity. They're just such a, just, oh, I hate them. Um, and yeah, they, they're not going to beat the Ravens because the Ravens are capable of winning more games than they lose, whereas the Vikings are only capable of winning as many games as they lose, so they have to, to lose games uh, like this. Um, yeah, the way Cousins is playing, they're just not going to, to be much of a match for, for Lamar if he's, in, if he's on form. Yeah, it'll be interesting with Baltimore to see how they come out of their bye. You know, they saw a few flashes from Rashad Bateman, who finally played after being injured uh, coming into the season. They obviously have quite a motley crew of running backs. Latavius Murray may be back for this game. It's very much up in the air right now. Um, but they need to get more out of the running backs. They can't just rely on them. Well, they can in this game, but long term, they can't rely on Lamar continue to be the running back one and the quarterback. It's not a sustainable way to play just in terms of his health, for example. Um, but overall, yeah, Baltimore are a good team to be at home, so they should be able to beat up Minnesota. But look, we, we see Minnesota, um, if they can get Dalvin Cook going, they can certainly make life difficult. But uh, on the form book, you have to pick Baltimore. Yeah, we got uh, Houston at Miami yeah, yeah. Yuck is the right term. I mean, if it's gone for Miami, Sean, you gone for Houston. But the problem is we'll never know because no one will ever watch this game. <laughs> I was going to make a joke about how this was my game of the week, but even I can't sustain the, the, <laughs> the belief in that. Um, yeah, two, probably the two of the top, of the three worst NFL, these are two of the three worst NFL teams this season. Mm-hmm. Miami... They were supposed to be a playoff team. They were supposed to be good, but they're just really terrible, um, and they don't look like they have any fight within them whatsoever. Houston have just zero talent, and their entire organization is melting down, but they do seem to have a bit of fight in them. Tyrod might play in this game, or, mm. or Davis Mills might play. I just think that the Texans are more capable of just fighting for a win. The Dolphins just seem to to give up as soon as the game starts to get away from them. And something you noticed uh, in, in London... Uh, and uh, in the Bills game this week, as soon as the game starts to get a little bit difficult, the Dolphins are just out. They're like, no, we'll take the loss and, and we'll go fight another day. Whereas at least the Texans are in games when they're not being blown out by bar superior teams. At least Texans are usually in games until close to the end. So I, I think there's just enough, there's more fight in the Texans, which is why I'll take them to, uh, to win this uh, this battle um, of, of, the, of the very worst uh, that the NFL has to offer. But yeah, don't watch this game, please. Sneaky storyline that's going on in the background in this game. Um, Miami are the one of the teams that have been heavily linked to the trying to trade for Deshaun uh, rumors from Houston, and it is also apparently heavily rumored that this is the location that he would like to land himself. So this is Miami would probably want to pull out the stops and show that they are. Uh, not after this game. Not after this game. <laughs> um, oh, you play terrible football here too. I'll slip right in. Um, yeah, so uh, that's, I think the left side of it, that game is better. We're on to the late games now. Uh, the Chargers are taking on the Philadelphia Eagles. We've got to the Chargers across the board. Philly won by, what, like 40-something points to zero last week, and the Chargers lost, but we're still fairly certain that that was the cap for Philly, and it was to do with them playing the Lions rather than being good, and the Chargers... That was Bill Belichick fecking with a young quarterback's mind rather than the Chargers are in a tumble. Is that yeah. how we feel? Uh, 
like now that the Browns, I think people have stopped believing them. I still can't believe. I still can't believe them. I think they'll come around. But you know, the Chargers are the other kind of like uh, uh, you know a golden calf of the AFC, the challenger, the the loser team that uh, were like, oh, they're finally going to be great this year, and then they obviously get absolutely spanked by the Ravens and the New England Patriots, especially in terms of what their defenses did to poor Justin Herbert. And you're kind of going, okay, was the was the young genius Herbert type too high, or is that just a you know small deviation from what's going to be a great career, or at least hopefully a great year at the very least? Um, and we're all, I think, given the fact we're picking the Chargers, willing to say that's just two of the best defensive minds in the NFL doing their thing. He'll need to figure that out and get better to deal with that. But now you're going up against the Philadelphia Eagle defense, which, um, with the exception of shutting down Jared Goff, uh, you know, well, clap, clap, um, they have been a pretty mediocre defense. They've had moments where the defense has been pretty good, uh, but overall not great. And whose offense in Philly's side has been wholly inconsistent. Um, you know, like, you know, if they can't get the run game going, they basically turn into a very, very uh, sporadically good defense. And they've kind of relied on garbage time points to make their overall stats look anyway reasonable. So I think the Chargers, after some severe humbling by two of the uh, better managements in the NFL, I think against a Nick Sirianni outfit, with, which has many talent issues and uh, overall the entire roster, and they can get back on track and get a win. Um, and they'll be away from home, so they'll probably have a friendlier crowd as well. <laughs> yeah it's gotta be tough when you don't have any home games i mean that must really suck um but yeah in this game i mean the eagles have shown us this season that they're capable of beating up bad teams but as soon as they come up against any team that is halfway decent they get they get fairly comfortably uh, beaten i just don't think they're a very talented team with a lot of kind of cleverness in their they they don't really do much that that kind of that challenges teams uh, too much Herbert, he's had a few off weeks. The entire offense has had a few off weeks. Their defense isn't great, but I still think there's enough here to kind of pull them back in it. I mean, if they lose this one, this is when we might say the Chargers got a charge. So if they start to lose teams like the Philadelphia Eagles and the season is is beginning to look like it could go down a, a very nasty uh, rabbit hole very quickly. Yeah, like we'll see, we'll see how it goes. I'd imagine that this is a right to shift game unless Philly have really figured something out. And I don't like the problem is, it's just it's always very hard to evaluate a, a massive blowout like they had uh, last week. Next up, Green Bay, Kansas City. Uh, Road this your game of the week, and we got the Green Bay across the board. Yeah, obviously, Green Bay coming off their big win over the last uh, undefeated team in the NFL while they were missing their top receivers due to COVID. They're pretty feeling king shit right now. We're the kings of the mountain. And we're going to beat up another vaunted team in Kansas City who are struggling. We're going to make their life hell and we're going to do this easily. And yet, yet it is hard to stop believing in the Kansas City Chiefs, despite all of the frittering around that they've done this year and the significant losses they've had to the better teams in the NFL and only managing to be where they are due to beating teams like the Giants, like they did last week by, you know, sheer will of, you know, uh, Tyreek Hill existing um, and Travis Kelsey earlier in the season. Um, but, you know, you always have to give Kansas City a shot. They're in Arrowhead, obviously a huge advantage in theory with, with, the, with the fans there. And they have obviously Tyreek Hill, they have Travis Kelsey, and we have Patrick Mahomes. And, you know, once again, 
you know, the biggest thing for the Kansas City Chiefs is that they need to play mistake-free football um, on the offense. Just don't turn the ball over. Like, the reason the Green Bay beat the Arizona Cardinals is because Car- uh, the Arizona Cardinals turned the ball over three times. A very familiar playbook for losing for the Kansas City Chiefs. They need to tidy things up. I realize that Patrick Mahomes is an absolute, like, like you know, like genius superstar quarterback, but he just needs to take the check down. He just need he should watch the tape of what Aaron Rodgers did last week in Thursday Night Football. Just pass the ball to Daryl Williams or Jarek McKinnon. Um, but maybe not Jarek McKinnon because that that went off his hands and, and went for one of the interceptions last week. But like you know, give the ball, uh, take take what's given to you, and not try to win the game on every single uh, on every single drive. Try and keep this yeah, close, it's, and don't it's give nothing great. Don't give Green Bay free opportunities to get points because i think green bay if they get those opportunities we'll be able to take advantage they have one of the better running back tandems and aj dylan and aaron jones in the nfl and they've been willing to use that particularly um when they've had issue at the receiving spot and when people have got pressure on rogers but obviously aaron Rodgers is the centerpiece of that offense we know he can play explosive football he can play smart football he can play efficient football he can he's, he's shown many more aspects of who he can be um since lafleur came in there and he, we've seen more of that as they've had a few more challenges to overcome this year compared to previous years and they've mostly been successful in that so look we have to pick Green Bay. They're coming off a huge win. Kansas City are in disarray, but I think we're all waiting for that moment where Kansas City, you know, click their fingers, figure it out, and get back to being the Kansas City that we expect. Um, if they can do it this week, that'll be a very good time to start as we come up to the midpoint of the season. Uh, but uh, we'll, we'll definitely see. And look, uh, between two teams, we would have been excited preseason. I'm not willing to say this won't be a good game again this time. Just yeah, cut out the mistakes mm. on the offense and maybe don't play Daniel Sorensen in the defense and make a game of this Kansas City. Yeah, like there yeah. have been problems recently of, and to be honest, it is, it's, it's, it's Patrick Holmes has been trying to do too much. And people people will point to the statistics and say, like, yeah, oh, he's not been actually throwing that deep. The problem isn't that he's not throwing that deep. The problem is that he's spending three and a half, four and a half seconds every play looking downfield and missing the short and medium rates that are there. There's an awful lot of screenshots out there from last week, uh, from, from, from the recent game against the Giants of how many open plays do people like Kelsey that he completely missed by not looking and how many times he's been fleeing on like unmuddied pockets that have actually been held up um and there's also been stupid stuff like people complaining about the interception where the interception was only thrown because it was very clearly a free play because the flag had already gone down but like it's it's just type of thing of like that that yes Patrick Holmes is incredible yes he's the reason that we are where we are as a team and a lot of it is you know like buys him an awful lot of space but it also doesn't mean that he is above reproach and he has to kind of sit down, as you say, view the tape and just kind of figure out what it is that he needs to do because they've got the they've got the roots and they've got the ability to ticky tack their way down the field against these two high safety looks that are causing them so many issues. But the problem is not just adjusting the roots, but adjusting the timing that he's going through his progressions at and how he's expecting to, to hit the guys in stride. Because you'll even notice a lot of the completions of late have been a little bit behind the guys because he's Swapping onto the short and intermediate routes as route two and route three late in his late, too late in his progressions, waiting to allow for the big play to happen. Um, and yeah, look, hopefully the defense looked a little bit better at times last week, and that'll be a nice one to step up. But this Green Bay team is a is a behemoth. I'm presuming that we're going to have uh, the wide receivers back uh, back playing this week because it's been Devontae Adams. 
Yeah. We'll almost certainly be back. Lazard, I think, is unvaccinated, so it's a bit more questionable, but Adams is definitely back. I, I, I yeah, imagine. yeah. And like we don't necessarily like like we don't really have the personnel. We we could hopefully get a bit of pressure. Chris Jones looked good. Now that we've uh, we've we've picked up Ingram sitting on the other side, it'll be nice to have Chris Jones in the middle, and we might see a little bit more consistency out of that. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll see what happens. But it's really hard to look past this Green Bay team because they just look so good at the moment. Yeah, and I also think it's important to to highlight that the the kind of the game plan for beating the Chiefs is kind of similar to the game plan for beating the Cardinals at least on the offensive side, that you control the clock, you limit the number of possessions that this the dynamic Chiefs offense has. And that's what Rodgers the did uh, in um, on, on the Thursday night game last week. So I can see something quite similar again, that, that the Packers have a lot of the ball, a lot of short, kind of grinded out drives to try and limit how much time the Chiefs actually have on the field offensively, uh, and then also combine the kind of the two safety stuff that we've been talking about and, tr- and trying to to limit the explosiveness of the Chiefs' offense. So I think there is a blueprint to beat the Chiefs. Is, is there the big problem they're facing this season? Is there's a blueprint is out there, uh, and whereas bad teams can't execute well, good teams like the Packers probably can, and I think they're well coached enough to have the discipline uh, to, to to hold the line for the entire game. Yeah, uh, should be should 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 make for an interesting one. Hopefully, it doesn't get too so heavy. That's the only problem. Arizona at San Francisco. Me and Sean go up at San Francisco and pitches on for Arizona because he's a coward. I mean, we love Chris Kingsbury. Yeah, I believe in Colt McCoy. Uh, obviously, uh, that's the major reason to pick the Arizona Cardinals. Colt McCoy is a great quarterback who I think beat the Seattle Seahawks at the Giants last year inexplicably. So he's not a complete waste of space and. Look, look, San Francisco, obviously, they're coming off a big win against the Chicago Bears, and Jimmy G finally looked like a good quarterback, so I can completely understand why you're picking San Francisco, but I feel like Arizona coming off that, like, really stinging loss to Green Bay, which, you know, mostly was their own fault, they'll be throwing everything they can at this game, and San Francisco too often have kind of folded under pressure this year. Um, I think for San Francisco in particular, like, like Elijah Mitchell and Debo Samuel have been good, but... Outside of that, they haven't really been get going. But I think if they can get if they can get uh, Ayuk back into their game plan, that would certainly help them. Uh, and I would like, but yeah, I think Arizona look like it's not just the Kyler Murray show. They have a lot of talent on their offense that uh, like a, a distributor that Cole McCoy could take advantage of. They have a pretty solid defense, even with JJ Watt out. Um, so I'm willing to give them a shot here. But look, look if Kyler Murray doesn't play, then yeah, I completely understand picking San Francisco. Yeah, without without Kyler, I just can't see in my head how this kind of chaos, the chaotic momentum of the Arizona offense actually works. I mean, it's so much of it is based on the innovation um, and the kind of the kind of thinking on his feet that Kyler does that it's kind of very difficult to replicate. I also think we're talking about a divisional matchup, so they'll know each other well, and that's kind of when coaching comes into it. And obviously, the coaching differential here is is immense. Uh, and Shanahan is a much much better coach, and his entire team is much much better. Uh, than the Cardinals coaching team. So I can just see that the Niners having a game plan, executing it, and the Cardinals not having that responsiveness because Colt McCoy is just not Kyler Murray and isn't going to be able to break out of situations and do the magic stuff that the Cardinals have been using uh, to win uh, games this season. Yeah, and Connor, obviously, you know, I'm picking the Arizona Cardinals now so that when they start losing going on a huge winning streak, I'm like, well, I didn't say they were bad. Like, I picked them in uh, week nine, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, sure, sure. Thinking sure. ahead. <laughs> good God, yeah. It's a good thing you didn't tell everyone on the podcast. That was <laughs> no, you'll get away with it. That's Next up, 
Next up, Tennessee at the LA Rams. Uh, we've all gone for Rams across the board. This is John, pick of the week. Uh, you want to see what, what Derek Henry's size pole looks like? Yeah, I mean, it, it is, I mean, it is the, the, say, the joint top team in the NFC versus the, the, the current top seed in the AFC. So on paper, this is a really big game. But obviously, the Titans are in a very weird spot now that they're, they're, their entire offensive dynamism has been reduced because they've lost Derrick Henry and are going to have to change what they do. That's going to make it more pass heavy. It's going to have to get Tan Hill to do some more things. It's going to be difficult to see if that works. Obviously the Rams are going to be, you know, introducing new defensive pieces, kind of trying to work out how things going. They're on a good momentum, but I'm not a hundred percent convinced that the Rams are actually a Super Bowl winning side at the moment. And these are the kind of games where we can, they can kind of test them. This Titans defense has looked a little bit better than we expected them to do. They are willing to get into fights. Um, if they can pressure Stafford with the way they pressured Wentz, then Stafford is also capable of making mistakes the same way that Carson Wentz is. So it'll be interesting to see if they can get under his skin a little bit. But there's so much talent on this Rams roster, and the, the Titans are going to be missing so much of their kind of offensive uh, dynamism because Henry is gone that you got to, I think you got to pick the Rams here. They're also generally usually quite good in prime time. They like to show off um, in their shiny new stadium and all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I would expect the Rams to, to win this simply because I can't really see how the Titans are going to score uh, enough points to keep pace with them. Yeah, well, we've dismissed the Titans multiple times over the last <laughs> month or so, and they've made fools of us each and every time like we, you know, obviously, we thought Buffalo beat them. We thought Kansas City beat them. We thought Indianapolis beat them. And obviously, Indianapolis was probably their most questionable output of that. And obviously, they no longer have Derrick Henry. But you know, I think Tennessee have earned enough respect that we shouldn't just consider this an easy win for the Rams. And to be fair, the Rams, outside of their Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay win, haven't necessarily ha- don't necessarily have a huge amount of like signature wins to their name. Now, obviously, there's only so many games you can play, but they got blown out by the Cardinals. Uh, and they uh, um, and uh, like they they've been kind of you know up and down uh, throughout the rest of the season. Um, so look, I think for the Rams, we understand that like the relationship between Matt Stafford and Cooper Cup is the kind of central tendril of that offense. And the, like I think if that can be broken by Tennessee, if their defense can do that, then that would, in my opinion, create a fairly close game. But like look. Like the Rams are a talented team. They're obviously throwing away picks to get even more talent. Um, we kind of like them going into the season. I can understand picking them against Tennessee. But just to say, Tennessee, even without Henry, I think over the last couple of weeks, they've got away from Henry a little bit more anyway and were still effective with A.J. Brown in particular getting back into form. But uh, yeah, look, I completely understand picking why we're all picking the Rams. But don't count out Tennessee, I'm just saying. Give them a bit of respect. Yeah, that seems a fair fair way to look at it. Like, um. Tennessee haven't really been getting the, the, the pass game going, but they have had injuries to the wide receivers, so maybe something happens there. Uh, they also haven't really had to lean on it all that much, so maybe they can. But this is a Rams team that, like I said, great defense, great offense. They've added additional defensive pieces. They've got the kind of top-end cornerback that can kind of cause issues. It's very hard with Derek Henry there to look past the Rams in this one. Uh, our final game is Chicago at Pittsburgh. Um, the most regretfully playoff relevant game this week. <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, this is a weird one. I've gone for Chicago. You two have gone for Pittsburgh. Um, These teams are just so bad. Yeah, it's just a, it's there's nothing really to it. Like, like Pittsburgh, I just don't think can score. Uh, Chicago, I think might be able to score. And 
like they're 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 relatively equals. The Pittsburgh have very good defense and essentially no offense in my head. Chicago have an okay defense and an okay offense. Neither of them are particularly strong. So it's just a matter of which one gets a little bit lucky, I suppose. I just I could I could see Ben Roethlisberger throwing five picks as easily as I could see Chicago having three fumbles, you know. Um, so I've gone to Chicago. I don't really care. I'm not going to get up and watch this. I might not even watch the the the, the highlights if I'm on. <laughs> yeah, like look, Chicago run a bit of, with Justin Fields. It worked in a completely impossible situation. Uh, don't have him like have high accuracy passes. That's not his thing. And Pittsburgh. Uh, well, at least Pittsburgh understand what they have in their quarterback. <laughs> it just happens to be not very much. A liability. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's a liability if you make him do anything more than throw it five yards. Otherwise, he, he's very okay at that. Mm, very good. Well, that wraps up for this week. So any plans for the weekend, lads? Any crack? Any, any adventures? Uh, not much, no. Um, myself and my fiance are going to New York in two weeks' time. So... Um, we're probably going to keep it quiet until then um, and just plan and visa waiver and all that kind of shit that you have to get out of the way. And I'll do a COVID test as well at some point before we go. So mm. it's going to be interesting. Um, Very exciting. Very exciting. Yeah, it's, it's her 30th birthday, so and she's never been to America, so we decided to to go. Are you going to be uh, inflicting any live football games on her when you're over there? Unfortunately, unfortunately, that both New York teams aren't playing in New York. I think the Giants are on bye and the Jets are on the road or the other way around. So we won't be seeing any NFL games. But we, I am trying to get us tickets to an NBA game because the Brooklyn oh, Nets are quite a good team at the moment. And I think they're playing the, the Golden State Warriors, who are also a good team, um, while we're over. So we might do that. But the other big news is we are going to see Hamilton. We have got tickets for Hamilton, so that's oh, the, that's really? the, the headline, the headline story of the uh, of the trip. Very good, very good. You're not going to throw away your shot. Yeah. <laughs> Watching that live. Uh, <laughs> I don't really think John gets that because he hasn't actually even watched the Disney Plus version. But uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen it. No. Oh, but, yeah, uh, you're in for a, you're in for a treat. It's very good. Uh, on my side, nothing so exciting in the this, this weekend or probably in the near future. But uh, yeah, probably just tipping around. Enjoy the Seahawks bye week because it's been a pretty tough Seahawks season. And uh, yeah, we'll see if the uh, the pin was taken out of Russell Wilson's finger this week. So uh, I can think about that next week. Uh, but for this weekend, probably just taking it easy and uh, yeah, enjoying myself, getting back to Cork and uh, yeah, just relaxing. After Very good for you. I suppose it'll wrap us up for this week. Uh, so it's bye for myself, bye for Ronnie. Bye. Thanks, John. Bye. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.